Hello everyone, welcome to Peace of Authenticity Podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Jordan, and we are the Andersons. In 2020, the Lord really challenged us on starting our own podcast. And so we invite you to join us on the journey of following Jesus every day. So let's grow together and learn together. What's going on, everybody? Hello. Welcome we back. back. Oh, did you? I'm going to move this closer. Welcome back. Um, yeah, so sorry we missed last week. We kind of got so busy, sidetracked with, with a bunch of different things. Um, so, so we didn't. So busy that last minute we're like, oh my gosh, there's not a day we can record the podcast. <laughs> it, was, it was that kind of busy. So. Yeah. Yeah, but we're back this week and we have a little two parter series that we're going to do over this week and next week that's going to tie a big ribbon on what we want to do mm-hmm. but um so just a little quick recap if you haven't watched the last episode that we released we talked about the Jordan River mm-hmm. where we got to go and we got to, we talked about Jesus's baptism and what that baptism represented because Jesus himself was perfect he was God made manifest through flesh so he didn't have sin like so when we go to get baptized we are baptizing and washing away the old and coming in with the new Jesus didn't have to do that because he was perfect so Jesus went and got baptized and declared war on the enemy declared war on the kingdom of darkness and um, so that's what we got to learn about last time so if you haven't watched that episode we want to encourage you to go back and yeah. check it out um, but we're actually moving forward into this one and today we are landing in Capernaum which yes. we should have a few pictures to show you about that but Capernaum is beautiful it's right on the Sea of Galilee mm-hmm. yes. and um, we got to go there and hear an amazing teaching from Brad Gray uh, which we're going to share with you now. <laughs> I love the face you made with you now. That's I was, ru- I was running out of words to say. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yes, so there's there's some cool facts about Capernaum that we're going to go through first and then kind of dive into what this podcast is specifically about, which has to do with Capernaum too, for sure. Um, and so... One really cool thing is that um, it's believed that Matthew, the tax collector, and also the disciple, disciple that wrote Matthew. The very first book of our New Testament. Yeah. Matthew. It, he supposedly was called from Capernaum. He probably had a little tax booth. Everyone yeah. in Capernaum probably hated him. You know, yeah. being and a tax spe- collector. Speaking of that, you remember how they depicted Matthew on The Chosen? Mm-hmm. And it's so cool. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so on The Chosen, that Jesus calls Matthew out of his tax booth. And he says, like, Matthew, son of Levi. Yeah, wasn't Matthew like, kind of like, who, me? Yeah. Like, looking around like someone was with him in the tax booth yeah. or something? Like, what? Yeah. But, so yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool Yeah. Fact. I love that one. Also, um... There, there's a, there's different schools of thought. Which Brad told us in Israel that this might not, you know, be a hundred percent real. But our first trip to Israel, the guide there told us that Capernaum was a strategically practical place for Jesus to start his ministry because Capernaum actually had a low uh, Roman presence. Um, there, there wasn't a whole lot of um, Roman that, soldiers. Yeah, Roman soldiers and stuff around. there. 
even though um, there was probably one hanging around with Matthew as he collected taxes. But, yeah, as a bodyguard. Um, but also, we learned that Jesus starting his ministry is actually the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. If you look yeah. in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 9, you'll see that Capernaum falls in line with Isaiah talking about the glorious day in Galilee and in, in chapter and 9. And a cool so. thing with Matthew, I love I do love how the chosen kind of um, made him seem because he was a very very analytical, very facts driven disciple. You can tell by how he's written, you know, the gospel of Matthew because he like Aubrey talks about in previous um, weeks and episodes, he will put things together. He well, I won't jump into it because we'll talk about it later, but Matthew definitely made it, I feel like made it pretty far in the this educational thing that we're going to go through what every, mm-hmm. you know, Jewish male and female at the beginning goes through. But yeah, it it's really cool whenever you see him put those things together, but then you can see it with like Isaiah and, you know, things that he does. Yeah. Well, I would, I would think that because Matthew was a tax collector, he was probably really good at math and different things like that. So I, I think it's hilarious when, when we, when we talk about the disciples, uh, that, that Judas was actually the one that kept the purse or like kept the money. I so, I mean, it, you know, in thinking in a practical way, Right, like you'd be sitting here going, okay. See, this is what we like to do in the church, right? We like we like to take things that people do for a living or mm, things that they're gifted at, at, and then we go, oh, well, you know what? You could use that same gift here in the church by doing this, you know. So I would be thinking, like, if I'm Jesus, I'm going. Matthew literally spent every day, all day, every day, counting money taking up money, you know, in the tax booth. So, hey, why don't you come and be the treasurer of the disciples? But then all the other disciples would have been like, he's going to steal your money like he does us. <laughs> Could be. Could be. But also, you know, it's also important to understand if we're talking about Matthew, that tax collectors were seen as the lowest of the low Um in Jewish society, they were even lower than the Romans because they were taking money from the Hebrew people and giving it to Rome. And even the fact that Matthew himself was a Jew and a tax collector, I feel like that's even like lower. Yeah. That's even worse. Because if you have like a a Roman or someone come in, like you already know you're not going to like them. You know what I mean? Like, okay, that's like a Roman. But if it's one of your own that turned against you, that's a Benedict Arnold Arnold situation. And nobody likes a Benedict Arnold. Yeah. Well, and I read an article uh, in preparing for the pod, the, the article that you sent me, it actually said that another cool thing about Capernaum is Capernaum is in the Galilee region, the, mm-hmm. the region of Galilee. So uh, it's really beautiful. It's really green. But it talked about the people of Galilee being very like passionate people. So anytime that there was an uprising amongst the Jewish people, it always began mm, in uh-huh. Galilee. And so for Jesus and for the Bible, like Isaiah, for God to tell Isaiah that, hey, my my son is going to set up shop in Galilee. And, you know, um, it, it's just really cool because in, in years past, the the Jewish revolt that actually won them their independence for a while from the Greeks was actually started there, like mm-hmm. in that Galilee region. So Jesus went where the people were passionate 
about what they do. They were very vocal about what they do, and that's where he began his ministry. And like the disciples were from there as well. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. what good what good comes from Galilee or Nazareth? That it's yeah. like, well, these guys did. They well, changed the and world. Another thing with them being passionate, they were passionate about education of the Torah because they believed that education yeah. of the Torah was it was considered the highest form of worship. Mm. Um, if you knew nothing about the Torah, you're like, praise the Lord. They're like, how do you know? You don't know nothing. You didn't learn no Torah, you know? <laughs> yeah, like you couldn't just like listen to worship music or just listen to music that talks about God in their culture. Like it's, you got to know it. Like I think, what, what was it Brad said? It's like um, memorizing, memorizing the Torah was more important than actually knowing the Torah, oh, well, isn't that what he says? If you memorized it, then it's in your heart and you are able yeah. to obey it because you know it. Yeah. And so, like, they would say they don't even really need to understand it. They just tried to memorize it so that it, it becomes in you. It's, it's, it's all, yeah. you know, it's all encompassing. But so, it, like, with, with Capernaum being the um, rabbinical center of kind of Galilee, that means that all the greatest, like, rabbis, the minds, the religious minds gathered in that place. So it's also incredible that Jesus chose to be there as well. Um, because in, in the Jewish culture, I think it's important for us all to understand that the synagogue was like a huge part of Hebrew life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a community center, you know, uh, we send our kids to public schools and stuff like that. Uh, Hebrew parents would send their kids mm-hmm. to the synagogue. There were separate and, rooms for the teachings. Yeah, teachings had separate rooms. That like games were played there. Education was done there. Also, I mean, it was just like a big encompassing um, thing. Um, that Brad was, said it was like the closest thing to maybe some kind of community community center that people would come to regularly. Yeah, yeah, and like so. like a YMCA. Well, yeah. yeah, not like that, but you get what I'm saying. It was, it was, it was a big part of life, like not just in a religious stance, but all like education, all those things. And Mm so, um, we kind of wanted to start this, this podcast by really setting the stage for what becoming a rabbi looks like. Because if we look closely in scripture, there are multiple occasions where people refer to Jesus as rabbi, or your version of the Bible might say good teacher, or, uh, or something along those lines. They, they were calling him rabbi. So in order to understand what that truly means, I think all of us need to dive into what the education system looked like for the biblical timing of, yeah. of Jewish education. It, it'll bring... A lot of perspective and a lot of oh yeah. that makes sense now and so I love learning these kind of things because yet again you're able to fill in more dots that the Bible just beautifully sets up for you yeah <laughs> yeah it. so and and we've we've said many times on the podcast that um, education I mean education is important to us you know as, as Americans everybody wants their kids to have a good education and stuff but um, to to the Jewish people, the the Old Testament, the Torah, was learning that, memorizing that was a non negotiable. Like mm-hmm. like we want we want our kids to get good education so they can get into college or go to a good trade school and learn a trade. You know, it all requires studying and learning for the for the Jewish villages in there that that learning Torah was the most important thing that anybody in this community could do 
which is why they knew the word and they they knew all this stuff but it was like it was critical to get there so from between the ages of like well it says zero to five so by the time you're born to five years old all education begins like in your home so Mm -hmm. it was the parents job mom and dad's job to begin to teach the torah to their children and teach them how precious it is, how important yeah. it is. And the statement I said earlier that the study of the Torah is the highest form of worship and something that they would do that is like such a beautiful picture. I want to do it with Gray, but he would be he wouldn't understand yet. But yeah. <laughs> they they would place honey on their tongue and be like, the Torah is like honey mm. to your senses. It is sweet. It is nutritious it has all of the you know and it's just beautiful lessons like that that the parents got to teach their kids from age zero to five and so they prepped them almost got them excited like okay when you get to five you're gonna get to dive in and memorize this amazing word of god you know and things like that so from zero to five it was study what the parents told you which wasn't very much for a five-year-old but just getting them ready for yeah. the next step. Well, and it put, it puts things into perspective, really, because a lot of times in, in the American culture, the American context of things, a lot of parents uh, expect their, you know, their church's children's ministry or something like that to mm-hmm. teach the Bible to their children. But in the Jewish culture of things, which, uh, you know, this is the promise of Abraham, right, that we as Gentiles have been grafted into, parents took the first and foremost spot in teaching their kids between the ages of zero and five everything that they needed to know, which included the Torah, included the Bible, um, you know, Bible as we know it, Torah as they know it. And so it all began at home, and parents held that responsibility with the utmost respect and um, did what did what they did, which, of course, most of the time the moms were at home all day long taking care of the house and stuff mm-hmm. like that while it does. But, but it's not always the case. But anyway, it, it started there. It started at home. Mm-hmm. So then you go to ages 5 to 10 years old, which is called uh, Bet Sefer, right? One time, look, I put Bet Sheffer. So Sheffer. I wonder if that's how Brad pronounced it because I misspelled it here. Might be. <laughs> so you misspelled it on purpose so you'd remember how it maybe said Maybe so. So yeah. let's do that. Yeah. Bet Sheffer. Yeah. So it's called <laughs> the house of the book. All right. So this is where boys and girls from the ages of five to 10. So you spend five whole years learning the Torah Mm -hmm. um, in the synagogue. I'm guessing it would Mm -hmm. would be at the synagogue. Yeah, Yeah, that's where the teaching took place. So you were taught by uh, you were taught by a Torah teacher, Mm -hmm. the first five books of the Torah. And this, like I said, was belonged to boys and girls. So imagine um, if you sent your kids today to a school where for five years, between the ages of five and 10, they did nothing but memorize scripture. Yeah. You want to talk about your kids getting to know the word of God. That is I quite mean, a practice. Can you there. imagine like what yeah. if the mom is like making dinner? She's like, well, you know what the Lord says, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, mom, it's actually yeah. this that, word. <laughs> yeah. You got an eight year old. It's like, remember what Isaiah said? Well, actually, mom, Isaiah said this. It's like, oh, oh you're getting that confused with what yeah. Ezekiel said. Yeah. And so I, I think it's important. We've said this many times on our podcast. Like the, when, when, the, when the Hebrew people, when we say they knew the word, like they knew the word, everyone, oh, yeah. boys and girls both spent five straight years learning Torah in the synagogues every day. Yeah. And so, yeah. There was the article that I read that he said by everything that he studied, he would not be surprised if the majority of those kids, 
even if they didn't make it to the next stage, which we'll tell you about, they still had the Torah, the first five books memorized, mm. fully memorized. So yeah. even if, because this is the, this is the first pretty much in the last stage that girls get to go to school. So they will go back home, learn how to cook, clean, you know, all these, all these things, take care of the home, but they will still have five, the five books of the Torah memorized, mm. which is a great foundation to be able to yeah. teach their children from zero yeah. to five, you know, what they need to know. So yeah, that's Shafir. Yeah. So then the next stage is ages 10 to 13. And this one is called Bet Talmud, the house of inst- instruction. Mm-hmm. And it's taught by a Torah teacher as well. And uh, the, so a Torah teacher is different than a rabbi, right? So like a rabbi is is somebody who's been through all this instruction. They're above the age of 30 and they've been given authority to interpret scripture, okay? But this is a Torah teacher, so it's not quite a yeah, rabbi, a Torah, it's just it's a teacher. A Torah teacher just teaches the interpretations of the rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> They're not allowed to say, but I feel like it's this way. Like, no, yeah. you're just a Torah teacher. You <laughs> teach what you're told. <laughs> yeah, so you know how you can like read scripture and you can go, man, I really feel like this is saying this. Um, mm-hmm. In this culture, only the rabbi, only the top officials were able to interpret scripture. So then everyone else followed the interpretation of that top person. Yeah. And there were there were a few top rabbis at the time. And so then you basically had to choose. You would read the Torah for yourself and then you would choose which rabbi you wanted to follow. And, and the reason, real quick, that memorization of the Torah was so important to the Jews is because they didn't have their own Torah at home that they could just pull out of their cupboard yeah. If they needed to like remember something, they had to go all the way to the synagogue to get it out of the Torah closet and be able to read, you know. And I'm sure they were very touchy about who actually got in there to open it and read. Oh yeah. You know, you would have to go and you'd have to listen. But that was the significance. You you just took that stuff in and you tried to soak it up like a sponge because you didn't have it at home. Yeah. You know, to Yeah, go it back wasn't to. easy accessible yeah. like it is for us today, for sure. Yeah, and so this is also at the age of 10 to 13 where you learn the art of questions, as they call it. And so this kind of goes along with uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, I had it in here. Okay, yeah. So this is this is, comes from Luke chapter 2. And uh, Jesus, and it says the boy Jesus in the temple, if you're looking in your Bible, and it starts in, in verse 41. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, so, so Jesus was falling right in line with this 10 to 13 age, the Bet Talmud mm-hmm. right here. Um, it says when he was 12 years old, they went according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. This is the one, the story where all the parents, you know, they, they make you feel better because even Jesus's parents forgot him. For a few days. Yeah, for a few days. <laughs> not and even so, a few hours. Yeah, so uh, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be with the group that they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, so there is in the rabbinical fashion, it's called the art of the question. Okay, so this is this is where they learned this is in between the ages of 10 and 13. Yep. So if you remember Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, 
so does one man sharpen the countenance of his friend, right? We use that as like a, a you know, camaraderie thing, like we're building each other up in Christ. But really, that is based off of the art of questions. The rabbis used to meet in the temp- in the synagogue every day, and they would ask each other questions back and forth, and they would all be in line with Torah. And they would send, this person would ask a question, this rabbi would ask a question, and then the other rabbi would answer his question with another question, but his question answered the the question of the first and, one, and, and they would go back and forth. What you're explaining right now, Jesus did that on the regular. Yes. <laughs> he yes. was a good questioner, or whatever it's called, because it even talked about when he was 12. They were amazed at, like, they were astonished, is what it said. Yeah that he asked such good questions and had such understanding of the scripture. And um, I was going to say one more thing, but I can't remember. Yeah, so he was asking them questions and all who heard him were amazed Mm -hmm. at his understanding of the questions and his answers. Okay, what I was going to say is uh, something Brad said that uh, they used to say, a saying used to be the best student is the best, is the one with the best questions. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's called the art of questions, asking the right questions Mm -hmm. at the right time. Okay. So this is where you learn that between the ages of 10 and 13. Then if you are a super rock star, right? What? Even Jesus went through this system. Hello. Yeah. I just thought that was like so good. Yeah. So I mean, I think that when the Bible actually, when everybody's calling Jesus rabbi, is like, I think that that Jesus actually, yeah, we learned that Jesus actually walked through this process himself. Okay. So if you're a super rock star and you get to the age of 13 and they're like, man, this, this guy is dead set on being a rabbi, you move into the training that's called Bet Midrash, it's house of study. All right. So this is where, by the time you're age 13 to 15, this is where you actually start discussing rabbinical law and you begin to debate. This is where the learning the art of question comes in handy because rabbis loved to debate each other all day long because it sharpened them in their understanding and it also helped them know what the law says. Mm-hmm. It, it, it helped keep them sharp. So when people would ask them questions, they're already used to this. They could probably come up with an answer just like that. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, if somebody in the world that doesn't know Jesus were to come up to me and they were to say, Aubrey, how do you know this? I would love to be able to know the art of the question to go, oh, that's just this, blah, 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 blah. Nowadays, you know? like, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people in the church would go, oh, uh, or they'd be like, I don't know, let me... Uh, or they just kind of look, stare at the ground or go, oh, let me let ask me my pastor. <laughs> let me Google it real quick. And and what's crazy about each of these stages is that, I mean, every stage you move up, there are several, several students that are dropping like flies. Yeah. I mean, and so whenever you don't make it to the next round, you go back home and you learn the trade of your family. So yeah. that's just how it was. You yeah. know, so a fisherman, like a little kid growing up, he wouldn't have said, I want to be a fisherman like my dad. He'd be like, I want to be a rabbi. But if I don't get there, I guess I'll be a fisherman like my dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so when when Jesus comes upon Andrew and Peter and James and John as they're fishing with their dads, mm-hmm. we don't know how far they would have made it. Yeah, we don't know how far they went. But we know that they probably at least made it 
um, they at least made it to 10 years old, if not 13, mm-hmm. into the training. So five years old to 10 or 13. So five to eight years of Torah training that they would have had under their belts uh, when, when Jesus called them. But they obviously weren't rock stars because they got sent back no to become No one would fishermen. have known this. If you, if you didn't study yeah. this, you would just be like, well, yeah, they're doing the job their dad did, but you don't realize yeah. 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 So, um, so you, you, you have this, this, uh, this system of honor and shame in, in the Hebrew culture. So everything that you do either brings honor or shame on Um, your family. Should we say that, say the last stage, the disciple to a rabbi yet before you say this? Cause I know. Oh yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, We'll just go ahead in there. So hold that thought, honor and shame. So if you make it beyond this, if you Mm -hmm. make it beyond bet midrash, you get to the age of 15 and then it goes all the way up to 30 years old. And this is where you are officially called a disciple, mm-hmm. right? You are a disciple. So you get to look around at all the rabbis in the area and you get to choose, okay, do I want to follow this rabbi? Do I want to follow this? And then you basically request that rabbi can I be your disciple? And he might say no. And he might say no. Yeah, you could get rejected. I mean, that's a, that's the thing. That for like, oh yeah. Gosh. And and so then you ask to be to be their you know that to be their disciple, and then you begin from the ages of fifteen to thirty. So for fifteen years, you follow everything that that disciple teaches, mm-hmm. or that that rabbi teaches. That like any any teaching that comes out, you follow his exact interpretation. And then if you're blessed enough at the age of 30 and that rabbi that you've been following for the last 15 years believes that you have what it takes, he will then give you authority to be a rabbi. And then you can finally, at the age of 30, interpret scripture for yourself. So, yeah. So this is, um, Brad actually put it like this. Okay, so if you go back, to ages five to 10, you have Bet Schiffer, right? He actually compared this. We're going to put this in sports terms so that all of us in America can really understand what this is. Bet Schiffer would be like getting on your middle school basketball team, all right? You know, depending on the size of your school, I went to a really small school, so everybody got on the you team. All made it. Um, but in, in some of the bigger schools, right, you try out, you get on the middle school team. That's awesome. Then the next one, which was ages 10 to 13, is Bet Talmud, which would be like getting on the varsity team for your high school, you know, getting on, getting on that team. So it's a, it's a little bit harder, um, you know, a little bit tougher competition. Then if you make it to 13 to 15, Bet Midrash, that's like getting on a college team. Like you got a scholarship and you're going to get to play college basketball. You know, it's awesome. You know, which is hard to get into. Not everybody gets to play college, but it's a little bit. It drops significantly. Yeah, it drops significantly from high school to college, obviously. Then you have 15 to 30. If you make it beyond Bet Midrash and you actually get to be a disciple, that's like making it to the NBA. You're a professional athlete. Like, it's a big deal. And so when Brad was telling us this, I was going, man, why does all this stuff matter? But then when he actually put it in basketball terms, I was going, Okay, so this is a really cool accomplishment. Yeah. And so now you have that uh, and to look forward to as well. I remember him even saying, he took it up one more step. I didn't write it down, but I remember him saying, even if you hit rabbi, then you're like in the Hall of Fame or something like that, right? Is, yeah, so if you if you actually become a rabbi with yeah. authority, yeah. you actually make it to the Hall of Fame. Like you're like Michael mm-hmm. Jordan, you know, just 
top clout. You get you get a lot of clout there. But we're we're basically going through this system because experts believe that that not only um, was Jesus given divine authority from heaven, which what we talked about in the last episode after he was baptized, and we talked about the transfiguration where Jesus, where God literally says in an audible voice, "This is my Son, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased." Um, you know, Jesus was given that divine authority by God, um, but Jesus also went through this process to become a rabbi, which is why strangers were constantly coming up to him and saying, hey, rabbi, or good teacher, hey, teacher, what do you say about this? Mm-hmm. And so it's important um, because they had, they had a, th- this, this term disciple was interesting. They had a saying, and I wrote it down here, it's called the dust of the rabbi. Mm-hmm. So your goal as a disciple would have been to follow so closely to your rabbi Mm -hmm. that as his feet kick up, the dust from his feet gets onto you. That's how closely you follow your rabbi. And so we, we see, oh, you're real quick. I love, cause it just goes so well with what you just said. I love this too. Brad said this, a disciple didn't want to know what the rabbi knew. The disciple wanted to become who the rabbi was. Mm. Like that just Mm. goes hand in hand with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we come back, we come back to this, this honor and shame thing Mm -hmm. that I was talking about a second ago. Um, if you were, you were to bring a lot of honor to your family, if you could have made it to Mm -hmm. this disciple thing, like this was top notch, but if not, you come back and you take over the career of, of your father. Right. So that's why, as I said before, Andrew and Peter, James and John were were fishing with their with their fathers is because they obviously didn't make it to those deeper realms. And but what is amazing, it's it's amazing to this because I asked Brad this question. I said, if if everything goes uh, in honor and shame, like if you were to do something like if you were to leave the family business, which is why a lot of tax collectors were were seen as shameful. Matthew would have been seen as shameful because he didn't follow in his father's footsteps. He took a job as a tax collector and oftentimes your family would disown you if mm-hmm. you did that. So Matthew knowingly brought shame onto his family and I thought that the chosen painted that picture so yeah. beautifully well. Um, and so uh, th- there's honor and shame is a big deal. Like if you bring shame on your family, they'll cut you off. They they won't they won't bring you into the fold anymore. And what what I love about this is I asked Brad that question. I was like, well, if if a son doesn't come back and continue in the in the father's footsteps, would that be considered shameful? And what we learned in Israel while we were sitting in Capernaum is Brad told us that becoming a rabbi becoming even a disciple of a rabbi was one of the greatest honors that a Jewish boy uh, could have that their family would have celebrated. They would have been like crazy excited that their son was one of the chosen that could make it all the way up there. Yeah, what I love so much is, so, you know, a disciple, when he becomes a disciple at 15, he can he will go find that rabbi like we talked mm-hmm. about and ask if he could be his disciple and if the rabbi agrees he says come follow me but rabbis didn't go to disciples disciples found the rabbi you would yeah. hear about this rabbi and the things he was doing the things he was teaching like ooh that's the one i want to be him 
So then you would go reach out to him. And that's what's so mind-blowing whenever Jesus calls the disciples because it's actually the complete opposite. And it's the rejects, you (laughs) know? But they knew their Torah. I'm telling you, they at least went through 10 years old. So they at least memorized the first five books. But I'm telling you, like, they were doing their parents' trade. Yeah. Well, and and that's what's cool is, is because we, you know, that's what brings us hope. Yeah. It, it brings us hope to to know that Jesus did not go and grab a bunch of people from the age of 15 to 30 that were on their way to being mm-hmm. rabbis. He he went after the ones that didn't make it. The ones that the Jewish culture seen, deemed unworthy to be rabbis, so they went back to just being regular old blue-collar fishermen. And and like you said, Jesus did not do things in the typical manner to where, (laughs) uh, yeah. So, so rabbis with authority carried clout. There were two different rabbis in the time of Jesus, Hillel and Shammai, and they were all stars. They were like the best of the best and, and everybody wanted to study under them. So they constantly had people knocking on their door saying, please let me be your disciple. Please. Can I study Mm -hmm. under you? Jesus turns everything around and he goes to these regular old fishermen that didn't make the cut in the eyes of the education system. They didn't make the cut. And he goes, hey, come and follow me. So Jesus extends an invite, just like he extends to us. And we have to make the decision, like, man, we might not think that we're worth it. We might not think that there's anything. We don't have the right cards. We don't have the right skills. We don't have the right abilities. But Jesus is saying, that's okay, because I have all the abilities. Do you want to come and follow me? And I think, I think it's amazing because uh, several weeks ago, we started out this Israel podcast season with the olive tree. Mm-hmm. And God has a way of taking what the world deems as this is the way things are supposed to be. And he flips it upside down and he says, nope, I make the rules. I'm going to flip it on his head. Every rabbi was used to people beating down their door and like, they, you know, they were had this high prestige. Jesus goes to where the disciples are on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, "Come and follow me." That's the opposite. Just like when we think about the grafting in process of the olive tree that we already talked about, you don't take an unhealthy olive tree and graft it into a healthy one. You don't do that. But that's what God did when He took us as Gentiles and grafted us into the seed of the the mm-hmm. the promise of Abraham. And, and so I just love it. I love the imagery with all these things that we're talking about because God is constantly, Jesus constantly came and took, this is the way things are supposed to be, now watch me do this, and flip it up on its head. And it should give us all hope today. Mm-hmm. Like we, we like to give the disciples a hard time because all they're just fishermen. But I'm telling you, these guys were sharp. Mm-hmm. They had at least five, if not eight years of, of biblical Torah, like they knew the word, which is exactly why when Jesus says, hey, come and follow me, they they knew exactly who they were. That's why they done dropped everything. That always weirded me out a little bit like, but he's a stranger. No, they've, yeah. heard of, they've heard of this new guy that was doing some things. They knew. <laughs> and they were like, oh, me? Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm dropping everything. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. And so I think that we should come at it with that like, oh my gosh, me? Wow, yes. Like, this is an Mm. honor. I want to follow the footsteps of the rabbi. I want to be just like Jesus. That is all that I've ever wanted in life. 
I want to, I just want to be covered up in the dust of Jesus yeah. following so close behind him. Yeah. I, I, man, I just, I think it's so cool because we, you know, you're, we're sitting here talking about being a disciple and you know, we, we always use that illustration. Like Jesus took just these regular guys and he changed the world. And you know, the thing was, it's not just about the regular guys. Jesus is all about changing systems and changing the way that we think and the way that we do things. He, he went into the temple and flipped over all the tables because, well, this is just the way the life was at the temple. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, flip that up on its head. Get that out of here. Stop looking at things like A plus B equals C because I'm about to come in and make C go to B then A. And people were like, what? Like, And it was... That's why the Pharisees and everybody that came into contact with him was so angry about what he was doing was because Jesus was not just about using the least of these. He was about destroying systems that man put in place Mm -hmm. so that he could show the true power of the kingdom of heaven. And I I believe, you know, we are to walk in his footsteps. Mm. And I, I I just believe that in this time, the Lord wants you to challenge these traditions that seem to be unshakable. Like, oh, it is just what it is. But is it based on scripture? Is it, you know, furthering the kingdom of God? Like, what are these traditions? Just to challenge them. Because, I mean, the Lord took us through that a while back. And, it, and, and that's exactly what Jesus did yeah. all the time. He's like, but is that what you do no matter what? Or... Yeah, like, well, I know, I know that technically, uh, in order to graft an olive tree, you're gonna do this, but I'm gonna tell you that it's actually more like yeah. this. Yeah, or even how many times he's like, yeah, scripture says this, or you know, but he's yeah. like, think of this differently though. This is what because he interpreted it because he was a rabbi with authority. Yeah, and so yeah, next week we're actually gonna go further into that on what does a rabbi with authority mm-hmm. look like? Because here's the thing, many times in scripture, I think there's a couple of times in Mark and Luke. They tell us, the gospel writers tell us that people questioned Jesus when he was teaching. They would literally stand up and they would say to him, by whose authority do you say this? They're, they're basically saying like, who gave you the what right to say, what rabbi, yeah, what rabbi are you following that is actually teaching this way? <laughs> and so this actually changes the game even further, but we're going to save that for next week's podcast. So hang on. I'd be like Chris Pratt when Jurassic Park, hang on to your butts. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, listen, thank you guys for joining us today. Next week, we're going to come with with that. We're going to further this, and we're going to talk about not only the authority that Jesus had, but the authority of the believer as well. So it's going to be awesome. But thank you guys for joining us today. I hope you learned something. I hope you had a great time. We'll see you next week. Yes, we'll see you then. Same time, same place. Bye. Bye. Bye.